Well, hello. It really is wonderful to be back. I hope you've been well. I've been busy. And as I look at the, uh, the end of the year, it seems to be looming with all these uh, variety of things I've got planned leading up to it, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And as part of that, if you're interested, I'm running the next Living Wisdom course as an evening course starting October the 14th. So if you want an overhaul of your thinking, your mind, your emotions, your relationships, then come and talk with me, and I'll fill you in on a little bit more about what that's about. But I consider it a privilege to be here this morning, especially to be able to speak in to this area of Father's Day, to come on this day where we're here about honoring dads. And I think that's an important thing for us to be doing. I mean, of course, all the guys would be saying absolutely. But one of the, the reasons why I think so is as I look around our society, it does look as though the role of the dad has become misunderstood, and at times it's often become maligned. And the problem with that is, of course, that the more that happens, the more it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, and so that we're unable to communicate to our sons what it actually looks like and means to be a good dad. But I also want to look at who is this man who's within the role of the dad? Because I think that oftentimes the man in that role of husband and father is often misunderstood and at times maligned. And so what Glenn's asked me to speak into today, he said, why don't you just share what you think all the husbands and dads really hoped, really wished that their loved ones, their wives, their children understood about them. It's a short list, really. So I want to do that. Yeah, we only get one day to say this. I want to do that, but I also want to combine it with some scripture about the essence of who this man is within the role, and also to share some of my reflections of what I've discovered in working with men, with husbands, with dads. And so to weave all of this together so that we can have a look at what is at the heart of a man, of a husband, of a dad. Does that sound okay? Although I feel like I need to add a sort of disclaimer on the side of generally speaking. So this is going to be generally speaking about what is at the heart of a man, of a husband, of a dad. And in many ways, we can only really just touch the surface. There's just a few ideas, a few concepts, a few aspects that I want to bring for us to have a look at. But before we get into that, let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that you are the one who models to us what it means to be a good dad. And Father, that you are the one who dreamed us up. You created us male and female. And you positioned us in roles of father, of mother, of husband, of wife. And Lord, as I speak today, I pray that you would help us to draw on what you want us to hear. And Lord, that we would carry that with us. Father, as always, you are the one who holds the broken pieces of our life together, and you are the one who makes us whole. So it's in your name we pray. Amen. So the passage of Scripture that I want to sort of look at today is right at the beginning of the Bible. We're looking at Genesis chapter 2 and sort of going to sort of pull our way through that one chapter. 
Because in Genesis chapter 2, it talks about the creation of the man. It talks about also the creation of the woman and the two of them coming together. And if we could just finish the Bible at the end of chapter 2, everything would be good, wouldn't it? They, and they lived happily ever after. But unfortunately, we know that other things occurred. But you see, right at the beginning of chapter 2, in verse 7, one of the things that we read there is that God dreams up this man. He creates a man. He gets the dirt, the dust together, and in it, he shapes a sort of humanoid form and breathes into it, and the man becomes a living being. Now, if we paused it there, what we can see already, what we can see that this passage tells us about men right from the beginning is that men are very simple creatures. There's not a lot to us. There's a bit of dirt spit and a bit of heavy breathing, but that's about it. That's how God has made us. And you see, if you look into the core of who uh, God has made the man, then deep down, if you peel back all the layers, then what's at the heart of this man is very simple. Although most men perhaps wouldn't necessarily like to admit it, that at the heart of a man, he wants to be a hero. He wants to be someone's hero. I mean, why do you think so much money is made in the movies regarding superhero movies, action movies, regarding war movies, rescue movies? There's so much that actually speaks to the core of a man. He wants to be a hero. And what's sort of wired into the male DNA is this. What makes a man a man, what makes a man tick, is he wants to be tested and found worthy. And what he fears is being tested and found wanting. In fact, that sends such fear into his being. That freaks any man out to think that he's going to be tested and found wanting. So what he values is a sense of strength. It's a sense of success. Now, for extra brownie points for a man, it's strength and success that is used in the service of another. That that's what he wants to feel and have sort of flow through his body and in his being. And so the opposite of that is what puts a man in a very dark place, into a world of pain, when there is a sense that he is weak. In fact, one of the things that many men will do with each other is hit on this one sense, this one notion, that you are weak. And in fact, men have a variety of ways of expressing it. You're as weak as fill in the blank. That many times that people refer to men as being weak, they'll have different uh, analogies they will use. Mate, stop being such a... And again, I would fill in the blanks, but we're in church and it just seems inappropriate. So for a man, when he hears the sense that something that speaks to a sense that you're weak, you're inadequate, you're a failure, that's what causes a man to be in a very dark place. And that's what causes a man to reach for all manner of things that are unhelpful, hurtful, and even harmful to those around him. But what most men would want their wives and their children to understand is that even though they don't get it right, a lot of the time, even though they're imperfect, 
and they stuff up, that what's at their heart is that in their heart they have the best interest of their wife and their kids that they're carrying. It may not always come out in the way they want it to, but that is at their heart. That they want to be her hero, the kid's hero. And of course, when that is reflected back, that somehow he, he's being her hero, when at some point he's being the hero to his kids, wow, that, that fills him with a sense of confidence and strength. That's what also increases his sense of caring and thoughtfulness when it's reflected back that he's finally getting it right and that he's someone's hero. And for most men, they want this, the sense of, of succeeding and strength to, to resonate with them around a number of key areas. They want to be achieving in their work. They want to be providing for their family. And they want to be winning with their wife. So if you have a look in the passage down into carrying on through, in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, one of the things that it says, after God has created all the foliage, the trees, what he does is he picks up Adam, this man, and he places him in the garden. He puts him there to work. Part of the, the role of this man, part of what's wired in him, is to work the garden. And another point, it talks about needing to subdue the earth and the world, part of what is in the DNA of the man is in fact to work, to achieve, to create something, to accomplish something. That, that when he's able to do that, he's in his happy place. But of course, even though a man has such a strong capacity and desire to work, this can go pear-shaped. And many men can fall into the trap of becoming workaholics. This can go pear-shaped when many men connect their sense of worth to the work that they're doing and are unable to separate the two out. But when you find a man with a job that he enjoys, a job where he's achieving something, a job where he feels like he's succeeding at something, that something's challenging him. It's still a challenging role, but challenging in a way that reveals that he's worthy and not wanting. Then this is his happy place. But one of the other things that a man would want to communicate that, that often is not understood is that this role of what he does, this work that he enjoys, he doesn't just do it for him. He does it for us. That in a man's mind, that the role that he does, the work that he performs, is in fact for her, for the family, for the us. But often that's not understood. And the reason for that is men operate in a slightly different way to women. You may have noticed and the reason why this isn't often understood is because men can operate in compartmentalized thinking. But to look at it another way, men operate in positional thinking. They think team. And so they think, what's my position here, my position, my role, what I'm supposed to do, what I'm meant to achieve. And this is what I do for the team, for us. And she has her role. And I know what she's doing, her position, and what she's doing for us. But with a guy as he thinks positionally, he doesn't have to talk about 
where the positions are. We all just know the positions that we play on the field. Who needs to talk about it? Well, apparently she does. And so in doing this role, when the pressure comes on him, when the requirements sort of build up, he doesn't talk about it much. He carries it. Because if he doesn't carry it, if it all begins to pile up, and now he starts to speak about the, that he's not coping, that things aren't good, well, guess what? He now seems weak. This is his role, his position. He has to carry it, and he'll suck up the requirements of it, and he'll carry it because that's his role. This is what's challenging him, and he's desperately hoping he comes out the other side proving that he's worthy. Because if he was to share about it, well, now I'm just complaining, I'm whinging. Obviously, I'm wanting. And so he never necessarily shares all that he's carrying. He just knows he carries it for us. But of course, how does she know that unless he says it? She often won't necessarily get it. And then he ends up feeling unsupported in the requirements of his role. He gets the sense that she certainly wants him to have the role, the job, and to do all of that. But really, in one sense, it's inconsequential. Because the other thing that a woman will value is not so much the role. What she values is his specific time directly with her and with the kids and with the us. And so the role, far from being something that she may want to support or value in him, is the very thing that at times takes him away in time and in thinking. And so the role can in fact become something that's maligned. And so a man who wants to win with the role and the work that he's doing and he wants to win with his wife and home life now feels torn. And he now feels caught that he's in a no-win situation. And this can get even more pear-shaped, that even despite a family might be a two-income family, in his mind, what makes a man vulnerable is the sense to which he's providing for the family. And so if comments from her or from the kids of what other families are getting or have got, what other wives are receiving, far from that just being a general conversation that she might be having, he takes that as a personal criticism that he's not doing enough. So I guess what many men would want their their wives, their, their family to understand in this is that in the same way that what a woman wants from her man is for him to actually hear her, to get her, to get how she's feeling, to hear what her heart is saying, that what a man would like, what he desires is for their woman, his woman, to appreciate what he's trying to achieve. And when he hears that he's valued in what he's trying to achieve, the bloke is in his happy place. Now, if we carry on through that passage, just a few more verses on, there's something that's really interesting that is said there. And one of the things it says in in verse 18 is this. God says of the man, it's not good for man to be alone. I need to create a suitable companion, it says. Now, isn't that interesting? It's not good for man to be alone. What a man needs is to be connected, to have an emotional connection with another. 
But when you often think of it, you know, when we think in society, if you have a man and you have a woman, who would you usually say requires the emotional connection? It's her. So why is this directed at the man? Because what I see here in Scripture, but also what I see in the counseling, is that a man deeply desires emotional connection. That's something he wants and he hungers for. He just does it without words. And most of the women are thinking, how is that even possible? Because when we think of emotional connectedness, what does it look like? It looks like conversing, talking, sharing, sharing my deep feelings, your deep feelings, and us relating on that level. But a man wants the emotional connection. He just wants to do it without words. So what does this look like? Well, the way it looks within the relationship is that he actually connects his sense of okayness, his sense of masculinity, for good or for bad, to her emotional responsiveness to him. That he actually connects his sense of masculinity, for good or for ill, to her mood. That's never going to work out well, is it? And you see, because what the man desires is that we are good. I don't need to have the words, but I just need to know that we're good, that I have access to you, that we are, there is an openness between us, that there's no grief between us. And this is what's at the heart of that very old saying, happy wife, happy life. You've heard that before? So what he's saying is, if there's no emotional negativity flowing between us, if we're just good, then I'm a very happy camper. And so that's something that he is very vulnerable to and sensitive to. So any time that she's feeling angry or upset, well, that just creates static between us, and I'm not in a happy place. And so what makes it worse is if she's angry or upset and it's directed at me and what I've done wrong, now I'm really not in a happy place because now I feel criticized. I don't feel like I'm strong, successful, and that I'm winning. That emotional connectedness is of deep importance to him, but we can often miss it. And you see, this is one of the two biggies of what is fuel to a man, respect and responsiveness. That's what his is fuel. And so when there is the negativity, when there's emotional upheaval, whether it's directed at him or not, then what he feels is a sense of inadequacy, shame, criticism, weakness. I mean, this can even go more pear-shaped. She can be upset and angry, but it's not at him. He'll still take it personally because her emotional state is interfering with us just being okay together. And in fact, one of the things that uh, I read, uh, Brene Brown puts it wonderfully. We'll put the, her quote up here on the slide of what takes place between men and women in this area. Brene Brown says, women who feel shame when they don't feel heard or validated often resort to punishing and provoking with criticism. Why don't you ever do enough? You never get it right. Men, she says, in turn, who feel shame when they feel criticized for being inadequate, either shut down, which just leads her to provoke and poke even more, or to come back with anger. Her frustration and energy that she uses in her emotions is the very thing that ends up driving him away 
It's the very thing that speaks into his dark place. But often she doesn't understand that. Often she thinks that because he seems to be emotionally autonomous, that he doesn't need to be okay with her, when that's certainly not the case. And in fact, what men will also struggle with is emotion as part of communication. Men can't process emotion in communication to the same degree that women can. And I don't have time to get into why that is. It's just part of male anatomy. Their brain, that is. Don't know where you were thinking. And so part of of what he needs is he definitely needs to feel connected with her. But it's not in through words. It's in just being okay. As we carry on through that, our passage, at the end of the passage in verse 24, again, there's a really interesting thing that goes on there that you may have heard before. After the woman has been created, after God presents the woman to the man, it then says, and because of this, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave or be united or joined or committed to his wife, and then the two shall become one. What I find interesting here is it's actually talking again about the male role here of what works in his psyche. See, one of the things that I find interesting when I'm I'm counseling people, and unfortunately there are a number of couples who get sexually involved before marriage. And one of the things that I'll find that goes on in that is that when she gives her body, she gives her heart, and she feels very connected, very bonded to him, and almost desperately so until his commitment to her matches what she feels like she's giving. The thing is, in him, it doesn't. He doesn't give his heart. He doesn't feel bonded. He isn't really connected to the same way that she is until they get married. You see, when a guy stands up and he commits himself to her, when he says, I am going to forsake all others, I commit to you, I cleave to you, you are my one and only, I forsake all others, now sexual intimacy starts to bond him when it wasn't before. Isn't that interesting? And so in that, one of the things that I find is that for men, because this is now something that bonds him to his wife, that this area of physical intimacy, sexual intimacy, is something that's often misunderstood. Because in many ways, it's often thought that that's just a physical act that he wants, that he's just got to drive, that I'm just used, and I just feel like I'm a piece of meat. Whereas what happens for many men is one of their most vulnerable times is when they approach their wife to be physically intimate. Because even though intellectually many men will say that if she comes back and says, not tonight, honey, he knows intellectually it's not tonight, it's just not now, it's not that it's not ever. But he says, but what I find really hard is that emotionally I can't but help feel like it's a direct uh, rejection of me. Because what many women won't understand is that when the husband approaches the wife in that, what's going through his head is, does she like me? Am I acceptable? Am I desirable enough? Will she reject me? Does she desire me like I desire her? And so in that place, he becomes very vulnerable. And that again is that area of what 
a man is requiring, what, what spins his wheels, is not the act in and of itself, it's her responsiveness to him. See, for him, one of the things that I guess many men would, would want their wives to understand is it's not just about the act. It's not just about the event. What I'm desiring is I'm not just desiring your body, I'm actually desiring you. And in that act of desiring you, I'm really hoping that you might desire me as well. And when you don't, I feel very vulnerable. You see, often for many women, they need the emotional engagement before they'll ever think of wanting to engage physically. That's how women are wired. But for the man, he engages physically, and that enables him to feel emotionally connected. It's not about the act. It's about her responsiveness. And so in that, one of the things that a, a man deeply looks for, appreciates, that it says that he's winning with her, is not that he's had the act per se, but her responsiveness in the act. So, how should I put this? When he sees that she's having a whale of a time, that's actually what spins his wheels, not the act in and of itself. Because men are often accused that this is something that's just selfish about them, whereas in fact they're desiring it for the us. So I guess what many men would probably want their wives to understand in that is that in the same way that a woman would struggle not to have engaging conversation, that if you had a man in your life and he just wasn't interested in spending time talking with you, conversing, opening up, sharing with you, you wouldn't be in a good place. That, that in the same way that receiving a man's attention and his ability to engage with her in such a way that she feels heard and cherished, that in the way that that bonds her to him, that in that same way her responsiveness to him keeps him bonded to her. And when he stops emotionally engaging with her, she drifts. And when she stops uh, physically engaging with him, he begins to drift. We're just bonded in different ways. And of course, through all of this, whether it be the work, whether it be providing, whether it be the responsiveness, when things get really bad, then a man will find that his importance, the, what he's trying to achieve in work is misunderstood. And that what he's trying to provide in the home is insufficient. And his desire for her is actually vilified. There's something negative. It puts them in a dark place. One of the things that they did when, uh, in research that I thought was really interesting was that they found that for many wives, many women, one of the things that they'll, they'll ask for, they'll desire so much, is that their man would be open and honest and vulnerable with her. And they found that that's what she really desired and said that she wanted until he did it. And then they found that most women struggled to see their man being vulnerable and not coping and not together. And what the men said is what they found really hard was what she's really wanting, it seems, is for us to pretend vulnerability, but really still to have it together underneath. And so now we feel like we have to live a double life. What he seeks is to be strong 
to be successful in the service of others, to be a hero to his wife, to his kids, but he's still human. He still fears being criticized, failing, and being inadequate. And so in what gives in one sense, to try to wrap this up and sum this up, that to understand a guy, what we often understand of men is male pride. And you see, male pride, when it's good and even when it's at its worst, is simply an expression of the guy wanting to be strong, wanting to be successful, wanting to to succeed and win. Now, to be fair, male pride can go feral. And when it does, it hurts people. And there's heartache and there's pain. But equally so, female emotional responsiveness can go feral. And when it does, it hurts people, and there's heartache and pain. But in understanding that, I'd say to a man that he needs to be gentle with her heart. And what I would say to the women is that they need to be gentle with his pride. That when he communicates with her, he needs to communicate in a way that, that keeps her heart intact. And that when she communicates with him, she needs to communicate in a way that keeps his pride intact. And when you protect a man's pride through respect and responsiveness, he will honor you for it. He will love you for it. Things will go so much better in him that there will be a greater sense of confidence and strength that you provide. And with that, a greater caring and thoughtfulness to you. I want to finish simply by sharing with you what other women have given as advice to how to get the best out of your man. As preparing for this talk, one of the things I did, I went on Facebook and I said, uh, what advice to the women, what advice would you give other women out there to get the best out of their men? This is what they said. One woman said, Don't be subtle. Guys, don't get subtlety. Be as blunt and as direct as you can if you really want something. Another woman said, find out what his love language is and top up his tank with it. Another woman said, be kind. Always speak in love consistently. Be your husband's greatest cheerleader. Ah, she spun my wheels. One woman said, let dad be an expert on your kids as well. Mums who pride themselves in being the only ones who really know their children's likes and routines, etc., are missing out on a great partnership with their husband. This applies right from newborn days onwards. And finally, one woman, one wife, one mum said this, find something to honor him in often. My friends, in understanding male psyche, it's not hard. We just want to be a hero. We want to have a sense of strength, success that's done in the service of others. And what many men will need is for their wives and their kids to help join the dots as to what that actually looks like so that they can win with them. You with me? Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that again, men and women are your idea. Husbands and wives are your idea. Fathers and mothers are your idea. And so Lord, in that, what we pray is that there would be a greater understanding 
amongst us all. Lord, that we would get each other better than we already have. And Lord, that there would be an honoring of one another. Father, my prayer is that men would step up. They would grow strong. They would provide. They would care. They would be gentle. They would be affirming. And Father, that this would be a mutual partnership. May your love be expressed through men and to men as they fulfill their roles as husbands and dads. Amen. 